0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, Supex is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Lane Fortenberry. He's the CEO at Grainster.com. Lane, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I, when we talked um, a while ago what you guys are doing is is really interesting to me. And I always kind of love companies that are bringing technology into industries that haven't traditionally been known to have technology. And I think what what appealed to me about having you on the show is the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people have experience in industries that, you know, don't have technology and that they could potentially be the one to bring technology into that industry. And so... Um, that's kind of the big reason I that I really wanted to have you on the show and I think you know you guys are doing something really cool but maybe before we kind of get into Grainster itself let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up
1: okay so uh, I was born in Paragould, Arkansas and uh, moved to Greenville Mississippi uh, my dad was in the rice industry and that's how I can know about ag so I uh, moved to Greenville Mississippi and he worked for american rice for a, a long time there in greenville mississippi so i actually uh, grew up in greenville uh... graduated high school and went to college there in, in mississippi and then uh... moved to san antonio for a little while and then moved back to little rock and and my dad uh... actually bought the mill that he was uh... that he was running um, from american rice a, in nineteen ninety nine so that was my real first experience in agriculture uh... i had been around agriculture for for years and years just growing up uncles were farmers uh grandfather of farmers my dad was in the rice milling industry for forever so it was around ag for a long time but uh actually going to work in the ag industry was in 1999 when my dad bought the mill and so kind of you know it's a, always been in the startup uh, environment as well and more of the brick and mortar on that side but uh i've always been in the startup business so uh just recently moved from uh, little rock uh worked for my parents for for 15 years, 14 years, I believe. Uh, in August of 2014, I left to start Greenster, and uh, and uh, actually I moved out to Sacramento with my family now to uh, to pursue Greenster. So, in a nutshell, that's my life.
0: <laughs> sure. No, I I think it's interesting, right? Uh, just kind of how people came to be where they are now. Um, I, I'm curious, though. Did you take? Did you go to university at all? And what what did you take?
1: I did. I went to uh, Delta State University and then uh, actually uh, finished my degree. Uh, I got an associate's degree in general education. So, uh, you know, just uh, most of my experience actually comes from the real world and from working in the industry and and seeing uh, the disconnect between farmers and and end users.
0: Sure. No, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of um, like the fact that that's kind of your your background a bit because I think you don't necessarily have to have all this like – crazy background to do kind of what you guys are doing right and like obviously you've been in the industry you grew up in it but you know like your education doesn't really like it applies but it it's kind of loosely related right
1: oh sure yeah exactly exactly yeah like I said it really comes from real world experience and and kind of getting to know the farmer and that's that's what it was
0: all about sure and I I think that's inspiring right there's a lot of people that have that real world world experience and you know could potentially turn it into their own their own startup. Um, So I'm I'm curious then, you moved to to Sacramento, was there a reason you moved there and you couldn't do it kind of elsewhere in the country or what was your main reason to move to Sacramento?
1: Well, okay, so uh, so, I, you know, we we started Granster in 2014 and uh, I raised a little money in Arkansas uh, and and it's just that, you know, moved out to Sacramento to to continue the dream to uh, pursue funding, just to pursue uh, Sacramento, uh, through lots and lots of research, turns out to be the up-and-coming ag tech capital of the world. So oh, very you know, cool. still working on. It. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a lot of it's far, uh, uh, farm-to-fork kind of thing, but with Silicon Valley being so close, and then the Central Valley, uh, it just kind of turns out to be the, uh, a perfect triangle for for uh, for ag tech. So it, it just makes sense to move out here and, uh, and pursue my dream.
0: Sure. No, that's awesome. So. How, what is Grainster and kind of how did the idea come to be?
1: Okay. So Grainster uh, simply is a, it's a grain trading platform that allows farmers to sell directly to the end users. Now um, how Grainster came to be, um, you know, I I had the idea almost 10 years ago now Um, I was working for my parents at the rice mill and uh, you know, as, as a family owned rice mill, you do many different jobs. So one of my jobs was actually buying rice from the farmers and then, we'd mill it and sell it to the end users. So, I could see the, the disconnect even from the farmers to a local rice mill. Uh, a lot of them thought they had to go through a broker. Okay. And that just simply wasn't true. you know. So, uh, just could see the disconnect there. And then once we milled the rice, like I said, we I also sold it to the end users. And rarely did I ever sell to the end user, I guess. Uh, I would always sell to brokers and then that would go to another broker and another broker and another broker. So, just being in the business, I could see the disconnect between the farmer and the end user. And you know, it transfers from rice to corn to wheat to soybeans, whatever, whatever commodity it is. You know, there's always a producer and always an end user, and then there's a, in my opinion, an archaic uh, section in between there that, that gets it to it. So, uh, so yeah, that that that's how I came up with the idea. Just being in the in the in the real world, like we're talking about, and uh, and seeing the disconnect
0: sure that that makes a lot of sense and by end user do you mean you mean the consumer correct
1: not exactly uh okay. because what we're talking about is, is bulk grain so you oh, know okay. bushels and bushels you know truckloads trail uh, train loads uh, uh, barges ships even you know to that to that extent so oh, wow uh yeah you know we say end users so and it depends on what commodity you're talking about if you talk about rice obviously rice has to be milled so you know a, a rice mill could be the end user but what we're really propping our business model up on is international business so you know the the farmers have had the been selling to the same three or four buyers in their local area and it just makes sense to them because those are the those are the buyers so those buyers only have to be better than each other in price wise so you know that's that's not hard to do but if you once you start getting out of the boundaries of the United States and so there are buyers all over the world especially in rice because you know, most of our rice is exported in the United States. So just for example, in Central America, they have their own own rice mills down there. So the farmer can theoretically ship directly to the Central American rice mills and cut everybody else out in the middle. So that's really what we're going after.
0: Okay, so how do you guys kind of go about actually recruiting kind of farmers? Because you must have tons of connections based on um your you know your past kind of family job or did you kind of have to go you know kind of hustle hustle this again or or kind of walk me through that process
1: yeah yeah it's a little bit of a challenge and obviously you know we have a a bigger following in arkansas in the mid-south because that's where we're from and like you said that was the connections to the farmers that we have but we want this thing to be available to farmers worldwide so um you know we've used social media Facebook. I think we're nearing six thousand followers on Facebook. Oh, wow. uh, just a lot, yeah. Just a lot of social media is, is really what we did, and you know, I'm pretty proud of uh, of the presence that we have and the branding that we've done for Grainster with the amount of investment that we've had. So, uh, we've we, I've had a lot of help in, in that situation, uh, but we've we uh, we've done a, a lot with just through social media and just like a grassroots effort, really. So okay. uh, that's kind of and, and that and that kind of speaks to what the farmers want too, because you know they're all jumping on board and and later for this to be produced and, 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 and just a worldwide network of, of buyers and sellers. So it's encouraging to have, uh, to have the large following on Facebook and, you know, and other social, social medias. And, and just, uh, I mean, you're an online company, so you really, you know, are after the people that are online. So we kind of, we kind of stick to the digital marketing is what we do, but also, like I said, a lot of grassroots and a lot of word of mouth and, and just been, uh, just been lucky to, uh, to have the success that we've had
0: so far. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious on the, on the Facebook um, kind of social media side of things, did you guys actually buy advertising on Facebook or did you kind of just kind of um, figure out ways to connect with people and kind of grow your audience kind of for free?
1: Or yeah, a little, uh, a little bit A little bit of both. We bought okay. a little bit early on to kind of get that boost going. I think we spent something like 15 bucks a month. So, you know, oh, not, wow. a, not a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean even even when we were actually buying that, we didn't we didn't spend a lot of money on that. So uh but you know, once we got a, a core group there, then it was really just kind of people sharing it and us making posts and, and keeping keeping the site active or the, the, the page active. So really, you know, we probably paid for maybe a month, maybe six weeks, something like that. Oh, but wow. the rest of it was just uh, yeah, the rest of it was just organic. So, but but yeah. I think
0: that's super important, right, to mention because like, that's how I grew the show is all through kind of um, – m- most of mine has kind of been through Twitter and, and Facebook and, and some LinkedIn. But I think it's also important to, to kind of stress to other people out there listening that, you know, you guys spent pretty a pretty insignificant amount of money – to grow just on Facebook and, and to your point of just keeping content relevant and whatnot. And once you get to a certain level, it kind of just snowballs on its own a little bit and you don't really have to put in a bit of effort. Like you have to put in effort kind of at the beginning and kind of ongoing a little bit, but you don't yeah. have to spend as much time kind of ongoing as I think a lot of people think, right? Or spend tens of thousands of dollars on this stuff to get going.
1: That's right. Yeah, no, by no means. Yeah. So, you know. I can remember back when, uh, two years ago, when we first started paying, so we were, you know, we were, we were probably, I guess, to, we got up to the level through paid advertisements to about four or five hundred. Sure. But just like you said, that snowball effect kicked in after that. And I mean, it just grew rapidly from five hundred to, to the the fifty five hundred just, you know, without even trying, really. I, I don't know how to say that. but you know, it was just organic, and people were just sharing, it. and I, you know, like I said, that really, that's really encouraging as an entrepreneur to see that feedback on the social media side, so yeah, yeah, I would suggest, you know, you, you need to do a little paid advertising up front, and then just kind of let that thing post if you have a really good idea, and and, and that'll almost be your proof of concept.
0: Sure, no, I, I think that's awesome advice, so let's kind of dive a little bit into, or deeper into kind of exactly what Grainster does, like kind of, Walk me through as if, like, I'm the farmer, like, to kind of into the platform. Like, how does the whole thing kind of work?
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, So, uh, you go to the website, and say you're a farmer, and you have, uh, let's just use 10,000 bushels of corn. Sure. So, uh, you, go, you go to the website, and it, and it actually works two ways, but let me go through this way first. So yeah, and then we'll cover the you're other you a side. farmer. Yeah, exactly. So, if you're a farmer, you go, and uh, you're, it's a paid membership, $500 a year. Tight. And uh, actually, it's free right now, but that's our, our, our model, is $500 a year. Um, you get a limited time for free. But anyway, so you, uh, you, you go in there, you post your bushels that you have, the 10,000 bushels of corn. And through profit-based farming, you should realize that what your return on your investment is. So, uh, you know, if all your land costs, your input, your seed costs, your fertilizer, all that. Take that and then decide what kind of return on your investment you want. So, if that's twenty percent, then you just do the math and you figure out that you want this is the price that you need. So then you post that on the on the website. you know we have a negotiation button back and forth so so uh, a buyer from uh, around the world sees that you you're selling ten thousand bushels of corn. Well, he can come in and he can negotiate and make an offer on that. So say this is your trade number, say five dollars a bushel. I think it's more like 350 right now, but let's see five dollars a bushel is what you're asking for it, and um, the buyer from uh, around the world says, "I'll give you 450." Well, then you can negotiate back, and you know it's just a back and forth until you both come up to a to a, a number that you agree on. Let's just say it's 475. Well, then you both confirm that 475, and then you're taken into our our transaction engine, which is being developed right now. Uh, and at the same time the logistics model, which we have logistics partners, uh both brick and mortar and uh online uh logistics models as well that are partners with us. So then you get the you get the uh you get your process going. So you, you've made a deal and now it has to be shipped. And that you know, the terms are uh do you want it all shipped at once or do you need it, you know shipped uh two thousand bushels a month or whatever that may be. So you guys have to figure out that out between the buyer and the seller or sure. on our platform. And then the actual shipping comes through freight forwarders and, uh, like I mentioned, the partners that we have right now. And we are developing our own logistics platform at the same time. But what the farmers always want to know, and rightfully so, is how do we get paid? So sure. what we're really working on right now is a transaction engine that's going to allow the farmers, basically like a big PayPal, gotcha. but uh, it'll allow the farmers to know, especially if they're selling across borders, you know, um sometimes that makes them feel insecure because they don't know how they're going to get paid so right. we'll act as an intermediate there and the, the the buyer when the farmer ships the ships the grain the buyer will wire the money to us and then once the buyer receives the grain then the money is passed on to the farmer so it's always held in a safe secure location and the farmers are, are assured they're going to get paid so that's a that's a big deal to them sure i can but, imagine uh, but yeah yeah and so I guess you know, and it works on the other side too. So, buyers can post their needs. So, if a buyer needs ten thousand bushels of corn again, then he can post that, and farmers can go and and match up the other way. And so they can say, and the negotiation works just the same. But it's just uh, the buyers can post their needs, and the farmers can fill those needs. So, you know, it, it works both ways. This is what I'm saying. But, um, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, in, in the short. That's that's uh, that's how it works. So. Okay.
0: No, that's very cool. And this might be a really dumb question because I don't really know much about kind of the actual farming process itself. But how like, okay, I have this say corn to sell or to to your point a few minutes ago. How soon before I actually harvest it, do I need to post that online? Or if somebody requests it, do I say like, oh, I'll have a crop ready in like a week or six weeks, or or how does that kind of work?
1: Well, I, you know, um, I would say the sooner the better. So it's called forward contracting; it's really what it's called. But I'd say the sooner the better because you know, at harvest time, you don't want to get on there and sell at harvest time necessarily because that's when the most supply is available, and so the you know the prices get pushed down at harvest time. It just happens right. every year. So you know, uh, if you're looking at your your inputs and your in your profit based farming then say sometime in, you know, before you even put your crop in the ground, you can start looking at prices. So oh, it all okay. depends on, on each farmer. So, you know, you could say in February you already have your inputs in and, you know, now you're ready to plant your crop. So you could go ahead and start booking that in. And now, you know, there's chances of uh, of, of crop failure and things like that. So, you know, beyond crop insurance, you probably don't want to book everything that you have in but a percentage of what you have in and then kind of make sure once you get further in the season, come back again and, and book the rest of it. And when you're sure, you know, fairly sure that, uh, that you're going to, what, 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 quality, quantity you're going to produce. So the answer is you should probably split it up, but there, every farmers, you know, different, different reasons. They, they, they sell at different times. So sure. uh, that's a, uh, that's how, that's how it, in a perfect world, it would, you know, you would sell a percentage. Before you ever even put your crop in the ground, sell another percentage while you have a crop that has a good stand, and then maybe even a smaller percentage at, at harvest time, just to, you know, what your overages are. So that's kind of how it lays out.
0: No, I, I got you. And I guess over time, as like your platform evolves, you could almost suggest to the farmer based on their location geographically, it might be time to plant this type of crop because it'll be ready and this. You know, I don't know, in X amount of weeks or months or whatever however long it takes to grow, and then you basically say like you will get the best return on your investment because based on last year's statistics, there was a shortage of X crop this month. like stuff like that are you guys kind of thinking about?
1: Yeah, that would fall underneath our analytics program. Okay. so you know our so you put the three pieces the major pieces together and you have which are the trading platform, the logistics platform, and the transaction engine. And then once you have those going, those are your core pieces. Once you have those going, then you can produce analytics, which are all content-driven. And just like you're saying, farmers can use that information to predict what they're going to plant for next year or what price they're going to sell for, you know, many, many different things. And beyond that, beyond the farmer, there are uh, tons of people that would like to have that cash grain information from around the world as well, say like bankers, uh, uh futures traders, uh, uh, crop insurance companies, so lots of people would like to have that information. But even more exciting than the analytics, um, so once you put all three of those pieces together, then we can produce what we call a food safety program. So we can track the, uh, the, the seed, from the seed, because there's lots of information that you can get, for uh, farm management software, that you can get the information from the seed to the bin. But once it leaves that farmer's bin, and before it gets to the processor, there's uh, you know there's some paper trails and things like that, scale tickets, but it's all it's pretty archaic. So uh, once we digitalize that, then we can complete the piece that makes that food safety program, which the world really badly needs right now, and and actually uh, USAID and other entities are calling for it. So I'm pretty excited about the marketing piece, and in my opinion, that's that's the missing piece. That's what everybody's missing. It's that, that marketing piece because that's where you lose track of it. Because the farmer has a a good hold on it from, you know, where, it, where the seed that he bought, he can track it, what, what inputs he put on it, you know, all the way to the bin, like I said. But, but once, you, once you put it on a truck or a train, you lose, you lose track of it to a large extent. So we have solutions to, uh, to figure out how to, how to complete a food safety program.
0: Sure. And once it leaves the country yeah. too, right, it's probably even more difficult to track, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And is still, it's still, still today, there are a lot of handwritten lot numbers and, and it's put on a pallet or something like that. And those papers fly away. You know, tons of things can happen in, to, in, in, in transit. So a digital copy, even be able to track what the truck driver, who the truck driver was, what the, what the pit master's name was, you know, just all kinds of information in there that would be handy to, to, to have as a recall or a food safety program slash a recall program. Traceability program, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, that's a pretty exciting aspect of it that uh, that a lot of people are are keying in on.
0: Sure. And I I think, even like the consumer, there seems to be like a really big growing demand for people wanting to know exactly where their food came from. Not everybody, but I think a lot more people are, are actually being more conscious or they really like kind of locally grown stuff or like the truly organic stuff and if it's not kind of locally grown they'd like to know kind of exactly where their stuff or their meals and food are from right
1: right and yeah it's all consumer driven you're exactly right so our ultimate end user you asked that question earlier but our ultimate end user is the consumer now we may not be selling directly to the consumer but they're 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 the ones that are are driving these uh these entities to to come up with food safety programs because the 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 consumer wants to know you're exactly right where the food came from. But and, I also uh,
0: you know. sure I, I also think and like it could just be me kind of fascinated but it or by this, but if if I went out for dinner somewhere and I ordered, I don't know, like steak and rice and potatoes or what well, it doesn't really matter, right? If it literally <laughs> like even if it was on an app or something that it would tell me like your meats from like this farm located here and your rice is like from this farm okay loc- like i don't yeah. know i think that would be very cool and i obviously like you guys probably aren't you know there yet but I think like you could get there and it's just something that always kind of fascinated me right like I would love to know that stuff I I get it's not really relevant to anything it doesn't really change anything but it's kind of fascinating right and there's a lot of people that do care about that but I think even just from kind of like a well that's pretty cool like this was here you know I'm eating this from there right
1: that's right yeah and so we always use the analogy of a box of cereal so you have a, a QR code on the back of a box of cereal, scan that, and then it gives you the trail of the grain you that's should. in that cereal all the way back to the to the seed, basically. So you could almost say you're tracking it from the seed in the ground all the way to the stomach. So that's sure. a that's a complete cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that is fascinating. And it's just you're you're right. It's just neat to know where your where your food came from.
0: Yeah, and then I think even just from like an allergy point of view too, for people, right, to track some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, and it gets beyond that too, you know. So if you if there's um aflatoxin in the corn or or whatever it is and they don't catch it on the on the uh, on the outbound shipment then you know it's caught on the inbound then there's a way to track that back and trace that back and put it in a lot and and you know and do something with that corn and not serve it to the public so you know with a with a dangerous toxin in it so so it gets to be a you know actually a food safety program pretty quick so it can do do lots of good to for the world
0: Sure, and then you're also kind of cutting out a bunch of middlemen, or potentially cutting out a bunch of middlemen. Correct?
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, we're going directly from the farmer to the end user. So you know, there's there's industry in the middle, and, and that's what they do is they just connect those, and uh, you know, and they're in my opinion making a lot of the profit that the that the farmers are, are are deserve. And you know, they just don't have the marketing arm that these guys have, or just don't know the people that these guys know. Really, the way it works now, so. Just trying to supersede that old model and uh, and put a new model in place
0: yeah I, I love that idea of that you guys are kind of bringing technology to this archaic kind of market that hasn't been known to be that tech savvy right like obviously they have all the heavy equipment and whatnot but from kind of a actual tracking and monetization and kind of marketing side like I, I love yeah. that, that you guys are doing that and and so no go ahead sorry.
1: Oh no! I was just going to say, yeah, they have lots of they have lots of equipment on the you know that's that's up to date and uh, and futuristic almost, you know, from the tractor side, the satellite imagery and all that. But nobody's really attacking the marketing side, and so yeah, that's what we're excited about to be uh, to kind of be the front runners in in the marketing side and and get this get this thing out there for the farmers.
0: Sure. So I'm I'm also curious: Are you guys doing or going to eventually do kind of anything related to kind of like the animal side of the farming.
1: Yeah, we uh, you know we're open. Our, our goal is to get these first four big crops, the big four that I call them: okay. uh, rice, wheat, corn, and soybeans. To get get the model perfected on those, and then we can open up channels for anything from corn. I mean, some uh, to uh, from coffee to uh, you know to bananas uh, to hogs, whatever it may be. So yeah, yeah, we can open it up to several different commodities. And you know, once you start getting into those commodities. You might want to look we're thinking about looking at custom software and maybe develop the the type of uh, platform for those different now let me just give you an example. So in the cattle world, auctioning is the way it's done. Sure. So, you know, we are look at and making an auction platform for the cattle world. Now, grain farmers, they don't necessarily wanna sell their, their uh their grain in auction because it's kind of a auction to them or kind of a a negative thing but to cattle farmers that's how they buy their cattle all the time so sure. at that point we'll start looking at different customizable software and, and uh, you know what the market calls for and just kind of follow what the people are saying
0: No that makes a lot of sense um, and then obviously you open up markets kind of globally right so like you could have farmers in all, all parts of the world right on your platform shipping yeah. their product globally
1: Yeah that's exactly that's exactly the goal and that's the what the business model is completely propped up on is this intercontinental exchange of grain. So, you know, opening up markets, uh, like I said earlier, just, you know, not having the same three or four people to sell to having uh, the world to sell to. So that greatly increases your marketing arm.
0: Sure. And I, I know like, I, I know like kind of in the coffee and like tea space, um, people really care where their kind of stuffs or their coffee or teas kind of coming from. And, and, they really care about, you know, being fair to the farmers, and I think what what I like about your guys's platform is you're kind of doing that to the rest of the farming industry, right? And I get you could still do to tea and coffee, but you know that's sure, kind of yeah. that's kind of started already. But I think to, yeah, to your yeah, point, like yeah. nobody's, Starbucks
1: did a lot for that. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, right. And I think it's cool that you guys are bringing this to kind of the other. Uh, areas of farming that maybe aren't as kind of trendy as like coffee and tea, right?
1: Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So your cereal is not nearly as trendy as coffee or coffee or, or tea, but yeah. Uh, and, and we talked about this earlier that people are you know beyond that, beyond the coffee and tea, really just want to know where their food comes from. So yeah, that's a, that's what we're after. Is is uh, you know it's been it's been that way for coffee farmers uh, for a while now. Fair trade has been you know been around for a while, but. For the grain farmers, for the even the produce farmers, for all the the other farmers around the world that, like you said, aren't as trendy as coffee, uh, you know, they deserve a fair shake, too. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to extend it to everyone and basically create fair trade around the world.
0: Sure. So are you having any hurdles, training, kind of, I, I would consider, and I don't mean this in a mean, negative way, that farmers aren't traditionally known to be the most tech savvy. I'm sure some are, some aren't, kind of some are in the middle. Sure are you having kind of any trouble and if you are um kind of talk about how how do you go kind of bridging that like you know gap between adding technology into an industry that isn't really known for being kind of that tech savvy
1: yeah well the generational shift is is playing a huge benefit in our favor um so from generational shift i mean the, the the younger sons the Younger daughters are actually coming into the farming and taking over from from the sixty, sixty-five, seventy-year-old dad. Got you. And uh, he's given he's given the the power to the to the kids basically. So these kids have grown up, you know, around technology and on their smartphones all the time. So it's a whole lot easier. So the generational shift has, has helped us. Say ten years ago, when I had the idea, we weren't ready for this. Sure. And, you know, this uh, this just wasn't possible back then. But now the generational shift is coming in. And you hear the age, average age of a farmer going up and up, you know, 65, 67, somewhere around there. But these kids are coming in and taking over, and uh, and and that's that's helped us out a lot. So you know, the, these guys are willing to look at different marketing aspects and different marketing ideas and selling online. It's not nearly as scary to them because, you know, I'm sure they bought something from Amazon or or whatever eBay or whatever. So they're pretty used to it and they trust the internet. So that's that's helped us out greatly. I'd say the generational shift is our is our biggest one of our biggest allies.
0: Sure. So I'm kinda of curious then, um, are you guys just gonna be an online platform? Are you guys gonna build kind of Android and iOS apps or is it still kind of up in the air a little bit?
1: Yeah, we'll have apps eventually. Uh you know, we're decided not to focus on that right now and just get the get the process nailed down and, and perfected. But yeah, we will definitely have apps and uh, and, and and probably beyond that as well eventually.
0: So you kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, you, you guys raised, um, some money kind of at the beginning. Um, are you guys still kind of looking to raise money? Where are you guys kind of at in that, um, kind of funding area?
1: So, yeah, so I, I self-funded, uh, early on, uh, okay. to get it off the ground. And then I had, a, a, an angel investor come in, uh, but almost two years ago now. Um, pretty sure we have, uh, another angel round coming in, uh, fairly soon. And, uh, after that we're going to kind of re- reconfigure and be ready for our series, a round, uh, round of funding. So that's what we're gearing up for right now is our series a, and that's of the reason I moved out to Sacramento
0: sure okay um did you have any connections in sacramento or or not really just you you mentioned before it's kind no. of an up-and-coming agricultural kind of hotspot. but did you know anybody there or you kind of just moved there knowing it's kind of up and coming
1: yeah it's kind of moved here it's kind of moved here uh you know through facebook and social media you know loosely know some people in the area and they can kind of guide you you know just coming into to a new area but on the on the bigger part i we didn't really know anybody out here so uh moved my wife and and three three young daughters out here so lots of people thought we were crazy but uh but you know you got to do what you got to do and we just did a lot of research and you know we were at a point in arkansas where we you know had sold our house and we thought okay so where in the world and we just really literally stepped back and said where in the world would be the best spot for us so we you know we looked at Fayetteville, Arkansas, we looked at different places around the country, just kind of as uh, uh, startup hubs, you know, and ag tech world is a little different. Just because it's a startup hub doesn't mean it's necessarily good for the ag tech. And uh, we've learned that over the years. But just through research and, and, you know, just figuring out where in the world would be the best for Grainster. And so we came to Sacramento, California. Obviously, you know, uh, Silicon Valley has a lot of uh, ag tech companies and it's hot out there right now. Uh, but you kind of get lost in that as well. And I really like that the feel of Sacramento. They, you know, the, uh, farm to fork is, is one of their slogans of the city. They've got, uh, this, uh, entity called Greater Sacramento that's recruiting companies to come to the, to the Sacramento area, even from the Bay Area. And, oh, and they're having success. So, uh, you know, and they're just positioned perfectly here in the Central Valley with rice to the north and produce and nuts and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, it's, California is the fifth largest economy in the world, so you know it's a, agriculture is a big deal here. So uh, and, and there's there's strategically located with Silicon Valley still, you know some opening satellite offices in Sacramento. Uh, like I said, the agriculture world here it's just it's kind of coming turning out to be the perfect storm for ag tech here in Sacramento. I think so. We uh, we wanted to to get out here in the middle of it, and that's what we did.
0: No, I I think that's awesome, and and kind of why I asked the question is because I think a lot of people are kind of you know in in the space where you were like a while ago before you decided to just up and move to a new state, right? And I think that's that can be scary, right? To leave a job, to start a uh, a startup, to move across yeah. the country, right? And and you did it, uh, but I but I'm curious then to know what advice you would give to somebody that's kind of was in your in your shoes or is in your shoes that you were in a few years ago before you decided to kind of leave a job, do a startup, move across the country. Like, what advice do you have for people? Like, you mentioned kind of do your research and, and whatnot and pick an area that... Yeah, yeah. But do you have any other kind of advice for people that are, are looking to do or thinking about doing something similar like you did a few years
1: ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it, at the core, it would be just do it follow your dreams because I mean you never want to ask what if I sure. mean that's that's going to be the worst question on you for the rest of your life what if I would have done this you know so I, I just say just do it just follow your dreams make sure that that it is your dream first but then and do your research whether it's Ag tech or whatever it may be do your research where you should be where the best place in the world for you to be and then and then go for it that's, that's it's as simple as that and it sounds simple now but back when you know I even back to when I first contracted to build the first platform for Grainster, that was kind of the stepping off point. After that, it's just kind of, you know, you, you do whatever's best for the company and, and and just you don't think too much about it, but you just do whatever's best for the company. So that first step off point is actually when you contract to do whatever you're going to do or take that first step, whatever that looks like for you. And so just all I'd say is just do it. Go for it. If it's your dream, go for it.
0: Sure and I'm obviously you you got the support from kind of your wife and, and whatnot moving across the country.
1: Yeah, it was actually uh, we, we kind of came up with it at almost at the same time but individually so you know, it wasn't hard sales. it was kind of almost her idea so uh, so yeah she was uh, she's she actually is uh, major, one of the majority owners of the company so she's uh, been heavily involved in Graster all along and at the very least back in you know the 10 years, a uh, sounding board for me, to say, oh, that's crazy, or yeah, that sounds like it might work. So, so yeah, she's been heavily involved in Grainster, and uh, and she uh, she's a big supporter of of the move to Sacramento.
0: Sure, I, I think that's super important, right? If you to have somebody that's kind of whether it's a spouse or significant other or kind of family and friends to support, kind of for for lack of a better term, almost your crazy idea, right? Like my wife supported right. my all my crazy ideas with with the show and a handful of other things that I'm kind of involved in. So. You know, like I think that's important to kind of stress that it's it's nice to have that kind of sounding board and support system, right? Because I think in a lot of cases, nobody would be able to do what they do if they don't have that. At least in my experience, anyway.
1: No, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it has made the whole process of grainster, which you know, like I said, she's been heavily involved for the last ten years. So, none of us really surprised. She kind of saw it all coming, I guess. But yeah, I couldn't have done it without her, without the support of my parents and my uh my parents-in-law and you know just it just a, a number of people my my business partners uh, all, all the the Grandster team you know it's without all their support it, you know it doesn't it doesn't really do anything or never gets off the ground it's going to flop so you absolutely need the support of of your community your fan your friends your family so yeah absolutely It helps or is it, is vital I, I would say
0: sure no that that's awesome but we're kind of coming to the end of the show so maybe Let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about uh, Grainster and any other kind of social media links you want to mention that people can go check out.
1: Okay, yeah. So uh, you can go to grainster.com or grainster.market. And uh, the platform's not up right now, but there's a lot of information on the website uh, kind of explaining what we're doing with the transaction engine and and, and our vision to a certain extent as well. So uh, grainster.com or grainster.market, and then also uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, brings at Facebook
0: perfect well I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, busy day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and uh, you know I can't wait to see where you guys go with this thing
1: awesome Kevin thanks for having me I, I enjoyed it
0: perfect man alright you have a good rest of your day and we'll talk soon
1: okay thanks Bye-bye.
0: thanks for listening The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.